in the month of May, oh, about the year 2000, I was with two friends. And we were on research trips for both my friend Anne and my friend Cindy. And along the way, as we're traveling through Europe, we came upon a concentration camp. Now, I didn't want to go to that camp. I thought we need to go look at museums or go to another Mozart concert or do something exciting like that. But we went to the camp and the reality of what was going on during World War II really hit me. It became real when I saw those big tall walls and the barbed wire, when I saw the um, cabins that held hundreds and hundreds of prisoners, when I saw the ovens that so many lives were lost and so many of their bodies were destroyed in those ovens in the concentration camp. And World War II wasn't just something in my history books that Mr. Harris, my social studies teacher, taught. Um, Instead, it became real to me as I saw in one of the areas, you know, photos that family members had left there of family members lost. And I think it's important for us to know history, to remember history, and also to tell others. And we do that a lot in nonfiction, but I love when it can be done in fiction. And I was able to do it with my World War II novels. Um, But I'm excited that today's guest was able to share history and a lot of history that I didn't know in one of her novels. Um, So we have today on the guest, Amanda Barrett, and she will be here talking about her World War II novel, Inspired by True Events. I know you're going to love it. You're going to love hearing the behind the scenes stories and then also how she was changed in writing fiction. Now, one of the things that surprised me is that Amanda's going to say, you're going to hear her say that I didn't, don't even know if I was a Christian when I started writing Christian fiction. But I love that in the process of bringing stories to life for her readers, God had a work to do in her to give her true and everlasting life in him. I know that you're going to be encouraged and inspired. So here is Amanda. You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, I always love talking to new friends, old friends um, on Walk It Out, and I'm excited because this is a new friend, and her book is exactly what I love to read. Um, the title of it is My Dearest Dietrich, and you're going to find out more about what that means. Um, but let me first start by just introducing you to Amanda Barrett. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much, Trisha. It is just such a joy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Why don't you just start by um, telling my listeners a little bit about yourself? 
Well, I am an author of historical fiction. I have written seven novels for seven novellas for Barbour Publishing and one novel. And this novel, my second novel, is called My Dearest Dietrich, um, a novel of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's lost love. And it is the true love story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his fiancee, Maria von Wedemeyer. I live in northern Michigan and I love reading, coffee shops, vintage history, and helping people draw closer to the Lord through every aspect of my life, not just my writing, but just going about daily life. Oh, I love that so much. And I know like if we were to go into like a museum or an antique store together, we'd probably get totally lost in there together because it sounds like we love the same type of things. Oh, yes. I love going to antique shops and museums. It's just, yeah, just those, the hidden history is just there. And to me, that's just what gets my heart on fire. That's awesome. Okay, so I would love to hear, well, first, before we talk about the book, just how you got started writing and your kind of journey um, to publication. Well, I've been writing for about 10 years or a little bit under that. And I first started writing, I actually wasn't a super strong Christian when I was started writing. It was just more the idea to experience history. I was a really big fan of Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte. But as I started writing, I began reading Christian fiction. And those stories drew me into a deeper walk with God. Stories like Francine Rivers' Redeeming Love or some of Julie Lessman's books. Books. And so I feel like God was wooing me through my writing. And I signed with a literary agent and then followed many, many years of lots of rejections. And I was almost at the point where I was had going through some health stuff and I almost thought, you know, is this, should I even be doing this? And then Barbour Publishing put out a call for some novellas that they were looking for. And I submitted a couple of those and I'd submitted before and just gotten rejected. But then in 20 2015, my agent called just totally out of the blue and said that Barbara wants to wants two of your novellas. And that was just that was just an affirmation from God because through that past six months a year, God had been drawing me closer to himself and showing me that he was ultimately, though I could love writing, he had to be my first love. And so since then I've been privileged to publish total seven novellas. And then my first novel released in 2018, it was called my Heart Belongs in Niagara Falls, New York, and I signed the contract for My Dearest Dietrich in um, a couple of years after that, and so it's just it's just been a journey of God just sh- showing me and leading me and guiding me throughout the entire process. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I love how you talk about God wooing you through your writing, because I totally feel the same way. Like we have this idea, like I want to be a writer and it feels so like romantic and, you know, we have these stories in us that we want to get out. But I think really the journey towards publication and even after publication, it is, is like a walk with God and it's um, trying to figure out like who we are. And um, it's not just about getting published, but I remember the point where I had to like really relinquish because I just wanted to be published so bad. And go, looking back, it really was kind of to prove myself because I'd been a teen mom and, um, you know, I I had messed up so much of my teen years and I was like, okay, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to write Christian books. And really God didn't need me to prove myself. Like <laughs> He just wanted me to relinquish and do what he asked me to do. And I just, I love that as you read Christian fiction, that those stories 
um, spoke to your heart. So you mentioned um, Francine Rivers, like Redeeming Love. Was that one of the first books that you read that really um, impacted you? Yes, Francine. Yeah, it was. That book just hit me hard. I mean, it's so powerful and truth-filled. And so, yeah, that was one of the books that I think really drew me closer to God. And there were many, many others as well. But yeah, I think, I feel like God called me to be a writer, but he didn't call me just to minister to readers. He called me because he was going to do a work in me through my writing that as I grew on that journey, he was going to be drawing me closer to him and teaching me truths, you know, as I was writing these books that would also bless readers. Yeah, that is so cool. And I think that is totally true. You know, as we walk out anything that God's calling us to, um, you know, we always sometimes think it's for those people out there. And he's like, wait, I have to, you know, I want to change you, transform you, humble you, which we know in publishing <laughs> um, happens a lot. And it, it's so much like God's like, no, let's start with you first. And I think as we allow him in and as we open up our hearts, um, the readers benefit. But I know like every book I write, I just feel like, it's a journey and sometimes it's a hard journey. And sometimes I feel like I'm having church every day and some days, you know, it's easy and some days it's not. Um, so, you know, as you've gone, gone along on your writing journey, you mentioned, you know, even some of the, the truths that God has shown you. So I'd love to hear about some of those. Well, I think one of them was surrender. It was surrendering even what I wanted to write. I think when I started writing, I was putting writing and almost elevating it to, because I loved it so deeply, I was almost elevating it to the position of an idol. And then I just went through some challenges and it was like, God, I was to the point where I was having some health challenges where I couldn't sit at the computer and write for hours and hours like what I'd used to. And God was showing me, you know, you have to lay this down. You know, I am what has to be most important. And so to me, that was just, it was a time of great testing and it was a time of great soul searching and it was a time of also a lot of struggle. But at the end of that, that's what followed when I signed my novella contract. And it was like God was saying, you know, you've, you've started to show faithfulness to me. Well, now I'm going to bless you, but it's going to be, you know, it's that continual road of faithfulness, walking with God through all of the trials and things like that. Yeah. And I love how like, God puts the desire on our heart. So we know that it's from him. I always tell people like, if you have a desire to write, like it has to be from God because <laughs> it's a really hard road. So first of all, he puts the desire on our heart, but even though the desires there, it's not like he answers our prayers right away, like to get published right away. And looking back of just, you know, my immaturity when I first like started attending writers conferences and um, like, I'm so glad like that first year, second year, I mean, think like it took six years to get anything published. I'm so glad that I had that journey. I had that, um, you know, building resilience and um, trying to figure out what I was supposed to write and, um, you know, just really depending on God and building relationships with other Christian women that were examples to me. Because I think, you know, so many times, even though we have the desire that's a God-given desire, like we need to grow into the people that can write the type of books that God um, wants us to write. And so I think, you know, sometimes I see new authors like getting so frustrated or anything. It doesn't have to even be books. Like we want something now. <laughs> and, and God's like, wait, I know you'll be thankful if you, you know, walk on this journey with me and grow in me. Um, so, you know, you're talking about, you know, health issues and, you know, and, you know, years of rejection, um, not getting stuff um, published like right away. But when you first started um, writing, was it a different journey than you thought? 
Oh, absolutely. And it was a journey of God's timing because when I first started writing, you know, I thought the contract was going to come really soon and it didn't. And months went by and years went by and just still these continual rejections. And then when I signed my contract for my first novella in 2015, I thought, okay, this is wonderful. Now a novel is going to follow. But that first novel didn't contract didn't follow until a couple of years later. It was almost like God was saying, you can't, you, ha- you have to grow in this slowly. I didn't get to grow in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fast is what I wanted, but it was just this journey of it's going to happen according to my time. And I think that writing is one of those things that it really, that really is, it really is played out very much so. I feel like often I can sometimes tend to be a very impatient person. You know, I want it now. And God is saying, no, I want it. It's going to happen according to my timing. And that's just, that's still even to this day, just a continual pattern of growth and growing in trust and faith and patience and saying, you know, Lord, it's when your will is not mine. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I know this is your second novel. So I just love to hear kind of how you came up with the idea and how you knew like this is the book that you wanted to write. Well, when I first heard about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, it was through a book called by Eric Metaxas called Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. And I was, I have grown up being fascinated by World War II. I read Anne Frank, The Diary of Anne Frank. Probably I was about seven at the time. I was super young, but I picked it up in the library and I was just really, I, I actually started keeping a diary just like Anne did. And that story really inspired me and it inspired me to seek out stories of other people during the Holocaust and World War II who had undergone that. So I grew up with this kind of this knowledge of World War II and this passion in it. But it wasn't until many, many, many years later that I heard the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and was just so fascinated because this here was a German pastor, this German pastor and theologian who stood boldly against the Nazi regime because he believed that what was going on in Germany was not only, you know, bad for the country, but it was diametrically opposed to what God's will for a country would look like. And so he took action. And so after hearing Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, um, some time went by, and then I came across a quote from a book called Love Letters from Cell 92. And that book it contains the correspondence between Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his fiancée, Maria von Wedemeyer. And when I heard when I heard that he had a fiancée, this question just jumped out at me. And this question was, what kind of a woman would capture the heart of a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I think sometimes we can grow to know, we can know someone better by knowing the people they love. And I wanted to know this woman who had captured Dietrich Bonhoeffer's heart. And as I started researching about her, I was just, wow, why hasn't this story been told? And so eventually, after a lot of prayer and a lot of doubt and a lot of seeking, I just felt, continually felt God laying it on my heart that I needed to share this story. That is so amazing. And yeah, I've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've read some of his things. I'm like, wait, wait, who is this Maria? I have no idea. So, I mean, I would just love to hear more about her. You said you were interested in, um, you know, finding out who was this person that captured Dietrich's heart. So just tell us a little bit about her. Oh, absolutely. I love talking about her and sharing. So she was the she was the third of seven children, and she was born in Pomerania, Prussia. And she was from a family that was very going against the tide for that era. They were very anti-Nazi. And her uncle and cousin, Henny von Treskow and Fabian von Schlabendorf, were, were key players in this resistance that began to build up as more and more 
these this group of people started to become very disheartened and felt that they needed to do something against the evil that Hitler was perpetrating. And her grandmother was very ardent supporter of Dietrich's work. Dietrich ran an underground seminary school called, at this place called Finkenwalde, where he was training these young pastors in the truths of scripture. It, that was around the time when he wrote two of his most famous books, The Cost of Discipleship and Life Together. And so when Dietrich met Maria in the summer of 1942, they'd known each other a little bit when Maria was younger, but when they met in 1942, she was 18 and he was 36. And so there was this age difference between them, but during this one evening that they spent together at her grandmother's house, this friendship opened up between them and even this like this attraction, and both of them weren't expecting it. Both of them were very set on their lives, but it was just... Maria actually wanted to study mathematics at the time, and Dietrich was involved in this work for the resistance, and so it was the most unlikely and improbable time for them both to fall in love, but that's exactly what happened. That is so amazing, and um, I just love, I'm just sitting here like, I cannot believe I did not know all of this, which is, I think once we get into World War II, there's just layers upon layers and it's so fascinating um so when you sat down you know to work on it and I think like when I first started writing you mentioned you know sometimes writing things that you never expected and I think when I first started I wanted to write you know sweet little romances and I ended up starting with like these really holocaust and <laughs> world war ii novels which are completely different and I think one of the things why I was so worried was because of all the research um, and I know, you know, I can imagine as you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to write about this. Um, and there's going to be a lot of research. So I would just love to hear about like some of the research as you started, um, you know, bringing things to life for this novel. I um, mean, you know, looking back in history in order to bring things to life in the pages of the book. Um, I'd love to hear about that. And I also know that you were connected to someone who had um, known Maria or had a connection with Maria. So can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yes, yeah, so the research for this project was an endeavor because it, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is someone who many people know and revere, and I um, also really admired him as well. So the thought of writing his story and even writing in his voice and writing dialogue was just so daunting at first. So it was, but eventually I had to come to the point that these were people like any other people with the same innate, you know, desires, needs. They struggled as well. Dietrich, you know, though we think of him as a theologian. He was also a very human man who struggled and fell in love and fought falling in love in the midst of doing and being all of these other things. And so my research um, was mainly, I began by reading biographies about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and one of my favorite books that I recommend to anybody looking to study Bonhoeffer deeper is Eric Metaxas's biography, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. And so I began by reading that, but then I dug deeper because I wanted to not only hear what had been written about them, but I wanted to hear from them. And thankfully, the book Love Letters from Cell 92 contains a majority of their correspondence, along with a commentary by Maria's sister, Ruth Alice, who published it after Maria's death. And so I did 
did that. And I also did a lot of research into what it was like to live in World War II Germany at the time. And so I read a lot of firsthand accounts and documentaries and listened to interviews. And I also read a lot of Bonhoeffer's work, his letters, his sermons, which were very deeply, as well as getting research, I was also being challenged and inspired by this this faith that this man had. And so one of my favorite resources was actually an interview that Maria did in 1974 for this television documentary. And after Dietrich's death, Maria was very reluctant to speak about him because their relationship, she had so little to remember him by. I mean, he died mere weeks before the war. They had 17 visits inside Tegel Prison, and they so that was all she had. And so the letters that she had in her memories of him, she only spoke of to, you know, very, very few people. But she did this interview, and so I, I was able to watch it. She did it with Malcolm Muggridge, and she shared what it was like to walk up to Flossenburg concentration camp on foot, carrying a suitcase with his belongings, only to be told her fiancé wasn't there. He wasn't listed. But he would arrive there in April, a couple of months later. She was there in February, and just that being in that place where you would be executed seeking him not finding him it was just really moving and helped me provide just this great like emotional layer to add to the story and so yeah researching this project was amazing and I shed a lot of tears researching it especially reading their real letters because the words that they exchanged as they were writing as they started out writing very hopefully and, you know, hoping that he was going to get released soon from prison. But then as months dragged on, both of them began to undergo discouragement and doubt and wonder, how much longer is this going to go on? And they both dealt with that, not just Maria, but Dietrich did too. And so I yeah, researching this project was a definite, absolute joy and privilege, I feel, to share their story. And then, so as for the person that I was able to connect with who knew Maria... So that, that was amazing because it was something I didn't expect. Um, I was able to connect with someone who knew Maria in the 1960s. She lived in Easton, Connecticut. And so I was able to connect to the pastor of the church that she attended. And a mutual friend um, put me in touch with him. And that was just an honor to be able to both hear from him, this great man who had lived an amazing life in and of himself, but how Maria had, what he'd known about Maria and how she had touched his life. That was just so powerful and, again, just added another layer of richness to the story. That is so cool. So, you know, you're doing all this research. Um, and then I know just the part of, you know, writing a novel um, is just, you know, you're doing scenes, you're doing, um, you know, trying to figure out the plot of the book. So how in the midst of, you know, going through um, all these things, did you really come to like finding the story within the story that you knew would be the novel? Yes, I love this question, Trisha, because I, when I started researching this book, I was confronted with all of these opinions and conjunctures because when somebody is well-known, people will put opinions and conjunctures on them. And so when I, to tell my story, I felt this great responsibility to portray their lives as truthfully as I could. And so I I wanted to dig to the heart of who they were as, a Christ, as Christians, as a couple, as individuals. And sometimes it felt like going through a massive pile of sand to extract the diamonds. And I had a massive pile of books on my desk. Mm. So I literally was doing that. And because I really just, I wanted to understand who they both were. And so in the midst of all that research, it was just, it was digging deep and it was just, it was such a process of growth, you know, both for me and the characters to bring this story to life. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mean, the life that, the life that he lived 
is all is just as inspiring and as convicting and challenging as the books that he wrote and the sermons that he preached. He was very much somebody who lived life as unto the Lord, and that included his relationship with this young woman who he became engaged to. Yeah, and then you're you know you're you're putting it to life. You're you're actually making them come alive on the page, which I think is just so. Um, I love that of history that you can you could breathe life and and let people know, um, like you said, that they were real living people with all the emotions. Even though we kind of put them on the pedestal, they still have, you know, I mean, they're real humanness um, to them. So, I love that. Yes. Um, okay. So you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yes, I just love that. And I do agree. We, it's so easy to put people on a pedestal, especially people who, you know, I mean, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy. Well, he was also a man and a very human one. And so I feel like, and I hope my story just um, hopefully shows that, that layer of him as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned just getting to know him as a person and reading a lot of his work. And I think, you know, I mean, you and I are talking um, because we know who it is. <laughs> we know. So I was just thinking maybe we should back up a little bit and just even explain kind of, you, you know, we mentioned that he's a German pastor and he was imprisoned. Um, but can you just share a little bit more kind of the, of the timeline of his life for those who may not be familiar with him? Oh, yes, absolutely. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor, an author, and theologian, and he became involved in the conspiracy against Adolf Hitler because because he realized very early on that what the Nazis stood for, you know, was was very wrong. And it was and he saw that early on his brother-in-law, Hans von Donani, worked for the German uh, military intelligence and was keeping this dossier of Nazi crimes called the Chronicle of Shame, where he was keeping these record of these atrocities. And so Hans would show these to Dietrich and Dietrich knew that he had to take action. And so he became involved with the circle that was going on where they were attempting to, eventually it came to that they were attempting to assassinate Hitler. And because of his connection with the resistance and because of his involvement in some schemes that the Nazis took to be money laundering schemes, but were actually this attempt to smuggle 14 Jews out of Germany into Switzerland. Dietrich's name came under suspicion. He was arrested and taken to Tegel prison where he spent 18 months. And this was all around the same time he was falling in love with Maria. And and eventually, um, as it became worse and worse, following the July 20th plot where they attempted to assassinate Hitler and Hitler discovered the attempt, a few months after that, Hitler, um, Dietrich was moved to an underground prison in Berlin that was much more high security. And then from there, he eventually made his way and was sent to Flossenburg concentration camp where he was executed just a few weeks before the war ended at the age of 39. And so he died, basically, he died knowing that he'd done the right thing. One of the things I love that he said was his, one of his final message, the final words that we have from him, he passed on to a prisoner and they were, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. And I just love that because it speaks Mm. to the fact that he was, you know, he knew that he was going to be with God. And he knew that he said that death is, you know, a passage on the journey to freedom. You know, it's the final stage on the journey to freedom. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful and something that I believe we today really just could really grab hold of. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we look at, you know, Bonhoeffer or, um, you know, Corey Tin Boone is another one of my favorite, um, you know, authors. And then just what she experienced during World War II, you know, being in a concentration camp and having so many family members die. But, you know, both of them um, did the right thing in the face of danger and death. And I think, you know, for me, um, you know, sometimes we, I think, you know, I'm afraid to go outside of my comfort zone or life is comfortable and I don't want to risk things, but it's so encouraging when we connect with these people in history that knew like the right thing that they had to do and that they were willing to do it, even though they, they risked that. And for, you know, Corey Tambu and she ended up you know being freed and living this long life, but for Dietrich, it was, um, you know, it led to his death. And I think, and, and not only, you know, impacted him, it impacted, um, Maria, um, and that, you know, the, the love story that could have been fulfilled if he would have just did what the Germans said or did what the Nazis said. And I think it's so important to think about that. I think in our own lives, like, what are we willing to do? Um, how are we willing to step out to do the right thing? Yes, that is so true. And I, I love Corey Ten Boom. The Hiding Place is another one of those books that has just, I read it about every year and every year I am just challenged and just inspired in my faith to live, you know, because their, their faith, even in the midst of being in Ravensbrück concentration camp, is just such a, such a per, deeply profound story. And, but Dietrich, yeah, I mean, he was a German and everybody was saying that, you know, you have to follow Hitler, that you have to submit to Hitler because he is the leader. And he, he actually gave this speech on the radio just a few days after Hitler became chancellor and he was trying to say on this speech even early on that ultimately all leadership has to be submitted to God and that we ultimately also have to be submitted to God and he said this just very early on in the 1930s and but yeah I just I love Dietrich because he did he's he stepped out and he did, he did, he lived out the answer to those tough questions. Like what is God asking me to surrender for his glory? Because he, he, when he became involved with the resistance, he wasn't only endangering his life, but he was also giving up his reputation because a lot of the church people that he was friends with thought that when he joined military intelligence as a civilian agent, that he was deflecting to the other side that now, and so he was giving up not only, you know, the possibility, that he might be arrested and executed, but also his reputation. And I think sometimes it's just just as easy to make those difficult to make those small sacrifices as it is to make, you know, to say we're going to be willing to die. Yeah, that yeah, and it's just amazing to me. Um, I mean, you know, it has to be those moments of, um, you know, just trusting God, like trusting God with wherever he leads you and taking those steps of faith, walking it out, walking out what the Bible says and what you're called to do. But then, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't end like we think. And, you know, but then I, I also think the ripple effect of his work and his um, life has, you know, I mean, we're talking about him now, <laughs> all these years later, what, 75 years or whatever later. I mean, we're talking about him now. And so I think, um, that, you know, even when it doesn't end like we hope it will, that God has a bigger plan and he will use our story for his glory. So I love that. Um, but I would also love to hear, um, you know, we, we all know um, that Dietrich lost his life in that camp. Um, and I, since I haven't read the novel, which I am so excited to read it, I cannot wait. But I would love to hear um, just how did Maria's life um, go on after that, after losing him? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, Maria's life is, is very fascinating, both during her relationship with Dietrich and then after his execution. So, she, like I said before, she was looking for him in prisons and concentration camps across Germany. I mean, she's this 20-year-old young woman going on foot or in by trains, and Germany is very much in chaos and bombed and everything. But she doesn't discover Dietrich's death until that summer. So it's a couple months after he passes away, and his own family doesn't discover his his death until also right around that time when they hear that a memorial service for him is going to be broadcast on the radio. So after the war, Maria, in 1948, she travels to America and she gets a scholarship for Bryn Mawr University where she gains her master's degree in mathematics. So here is this German young woman traveling to America where she has few friends and embarking on this new career. And she met and married um, a man named Paul, and together they had two sons, Paul and Christopher, but sadly their marriage ended in divorce. They they both were, they both came from Germany, but they both had very differing personalities, and she did marry again and to an American businessman, and they also, um, she was also able to raise and help with his stepdaughter, but again, that marriage ended in divorce. I think it was, I think it, she lit, she dealt with a lot of personal struggles. I mean, her own father and brother, before she became engaged to Dietrich, were both killed, and then, so she lost her father, her brother, and Dietrich in a very, in just a space of a few years, and um, she did get it. She got a really great job at Honeywell Computers, and she became the head of her department in software engineering, which for a woman of that time in the 60s is no small feat. And in 1977, she was diagnosed with cancer, and after just four months, she passed away at the age of just 53. And before her death, um, she actually entrusted the task of publishing her letters with that she exchanged with Dietrich to her sister Ruth Alice. And it's because of those letters that we're then able to see this new side of Dietrich and that the depth and breadth of this extraordinary relationship was really known to us. Yeah. And, you know, again, we go back to these are, you know, real people with real emotions and having to go through those challenges. Um, and, you know, this, you know, she lost her fiance and then this, it did impact her whole life. But, um, and I love how, you know, even, um, you know, though she had those challenging marriages and stuff, she was able to share those stories and share their experiences and their relationship. Um, and so I think I just love how, you know, we never know where our life's going to lead, but even through the hard stuff um, that it can impact others, just like her story did through those letters and then through this novel too. So I love that you're able to like dig into this part of history that I think <laughs> um, so few have dug into. So I'm so excited to read this, but I would just love to, as you, you know, now are on the other side of it and um, are looking back, what do you think are kind of the lessons you've learned in writing this novel? Oh my goodness, there are so many. This novel was both the most emotionally challenging, and I would say I grew more spiritually writing this novel than I did with anything I've written previously, because there are so many, um, and many of them are found in the things that Dietrich wrote. One of the things that I love that he wrote is in an essay that he wrote at the end of 1942, and he's taught, he answered the question, and who stands fast? And his answer to that was, who stands fast is the man whose life is nothing but an answer to God's question and call. 
And when I read that, I was that just hit me. I was like, wow, what if we all lived our lives waking up every day saying, Lord, let my life be nothing but an answer to your question and call. And he didn't just write that, he lived it. So to me, that was one of the, the ones that I loved. Um, another one that he wrote in The Cost of Discipleship that stood out to me was, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Dietrich, that ended up becoming true literally, but it was, I think when he wrote it, he also meant that God calls us to die to our own desires, to our own dreams, to our own, you know, what we might want if his, you know, in exchange to to say, Lord, your will is greater than mine. And that, and it did, God called him to surrender so much of that and to surrender even the future with a woman that he loved because, you know, that was, he had to do that. And so to me, that was another really deeply inspiring one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just see, I mean, just looking at, you know, just even the journey that you talk about, um, you know, when you started, you said, you know, you didn't have a close, deep relationship with God. And then just to hear you just pouring out, you can just tell it is like deep within you just pouring out um, just, just how this story and how God um, has just changed you on this journey, which I think is just so amazing that, you know, when we turn to him, um, he will transform us. And, and I love that he could even use people in history like Dietrich and Maria to do that. And, you know, and then it's part of our work, too. It's part of our mission um, here. So I love that. So as this book is releasing, um, are you working on any other projects? Yes, I am. So in 2020, I have another novel releasing from Kriegel Publications. And researching My Dearest Dietrich led me to this story. It's the story of a group of German college students who during World War II were also deeply um, disturbed and heartbroken by what was going on inside of their country, and they decided to take action as well. And these were college students. They were in their early 20s, and many of them were also executed for their for the work that they did. They distributed leaflets across Munich and in other cities in Germany saying things like, you know, Hitler is, you know, basically, you know, taking our country down a terrible road of destruction. And so my story focuses on Sophie Scholl. She was 21 years old at the time of her execution. And it's another incredibly powerful story of people, Christian people. These young students were Christians, not saying that we can't just simply go along with the status quo if the status quo is opposed to the will of God. And so they also took action. It's just another one of those stories that's been challenging me just writing it. And I'm just so excited and just so honored to be able to share that with readers next year. No, oh, I'm excited about that one too. And I've, I have heard of those students and I've heard of her, her before too. So I'm like, okay, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be a great read. Um, so do you think, I mean, now that you you have the, you know, uh, My Dearest Dietrich and then this other book that's coming out, do you think you're going to continue to write in that vein and um, dig into history? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it's definitely my prayer and that God would just continue to bring these stories across my path because I don't necessarily, I believe that God, you know, just orchestrated every single one of these and, you know, brought these ideas to me at just the right time. You know, had I, I don't think, you know, five years ago I could have written my dearest Dietrich. I just, it was just at this time. And so I definitely, I do have other ideas for other novels kind of along those same lines, just because although World War II, it was, it was a very heartbreaking time. I mean, it was very dark time, but I often think that some 
sometimes in those dark times, you know, the light of hope and the light of courage can shine through. And it also shows us that you can, you know, we have to walk with God, not only when the road is smooth, but also when the road gets rocky and we fall. And I just, World War II is just a definitely great backdrop to set those kind of stories against. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love it too. Um, a book that I have coming out, it comes out in the UK in October. And then in the United States in January is a, a young boy who was put on a kinder transport. Um, and it's his true story um, being sent to the UK. And, you know, all his family was killed in concentration camps. And, um, you know, just having the chance to know him and hear his story and write his story. Um, you know, sometimes I get so stressed about these things in life. <laughs> My house is a mess and I don't know what to make for dinner and the kids aren't obeying. And then I'm like, what in the world? Like, why am I even complaining? And so I, I do love that when we you know, dig into history and we hear these stories, it just gives us kind of a glimpse of, you know, how things could be and things are so much easier. And the things that we are complaining about now, you know, really um, are, are, are foolishness to, to complain about these things because, you know, what other people have experienced. Yes. I, well, that sounds like an amazing book. The Kindred Transport, I've read a little bit some about that. And wow, I will definitely be watching for that one to get that one because it sounds amazing. But yeah, I totally agree. Um, when I was researching My Dearest Dietrich, I came across this quote in this book. And it was talking about one of the women whose husband had been executed after the July 20th plot. And she was talking, thinking back on all that had happened. And she said that now when I think about when I li- I'm lying in bed and can't sleep, I'm not, I just think I'm so thankful I don't have to get up and go down to an air raid shelter I'm so grateful my house is warm because she didn't have that and when I read that I thought wow I mean it's so easy living in our first first world America to really let things that are very petty um, just make us so unreasonably upset and so I think those stories as well kind of help center us and help us show that we really had so much that we should daily be thanking God for yeah absolutely and um, yeah, I just love that. And I just love that you're using your gifts to be able to share these stories. And um, I just pray that lots of readers will be able to pick up this book and enjoy it. I know I'm going to enjoy it too, probably when I take the kids to the pool. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to packing this in my little bag and doing that. But Amanda, I have just appreciated um, just getting to know you better and hearing like behind, your heart behind the story. And um, just, I'm so thankful that you, you know, stepped out of your comfort zone and, and took the risk and dug into history and dug out these stories. Cause I know it's going to impact readers um, and bless them and encourage them and, and also remind them that, uh, you know, life we have, let's not get worried about these little things, but let's take, let's take, you know, step out of our own comfort zones to help people and impact people for a greater good. So I hope they all get that after picking up your novels. Oh, thank you so much, Trisha. And the same for you. You know, your stories are also just so deeply, and I've heard from people, and then your books have also impacted me. So thank you so much for your writing and for your ministry. It's just such a true gift, and I can just tell that God is just doing mighty and amazing things through your work. Well, uh, thank you, and I love it, and I just love um, I love that part of that is getting con- to connect with new friends. <laughs> so this has been great. <laughs> yes. um, for those who want to find out more about you, where can they go online to find out more? 
So my website is amandabarrett.net, and then I'm also available. I also love hanging out and connecting with readers on Facebook. My Facebook is Amanda Barrett Author, and then I'm on Twitter as well. So I would definitely love it for readers to reach out and connect with me at any of those places. I just I love that's one of my favorite parts of being a writer, just being able to connect with other readers as we do walk, you know, walk and follow God together. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much. It's just been an absolute joy. That was so fun hearing the behind the scenes of Amanda's writing, Amanda's life, her journey to writing, and the behind the scenes of my dearest Dietrich, the um, relationship that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had and his lost love. And it just helps me to remember that these are real people in history that they had hard things that happened to them. Um, Dietrich lost his life, but he did it with the desire to let the gospel be known, to share the gospel even in the darkest days. And I think that is one of the things that just encourages me about World War II, that you know, sometimes you think, what would I do if I was in those hard situations? But the amazing thing is that God's word, God's messages, God's truth can continue. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you haven't read any of his uh, works, they have gone on and they have inspired so many people. So even though he lost his life, God had big plans for him. He had a ministry that far exceeded um, Dietrich's life. And I just love how how when we turn to God, when we give him our lives, that it may seem unfair of the plans he has for us but that the glory of God will continue to go on. Um, And I love that when Dietrich Bonhoeffer feared the name of God, when he um, wanted to share the truth, he feared the name of God. He feared in a a reverent way, um, trusting God with his life more than he feared the Nazi regime. And I love that Amanda was able to put this in a novel and share kind of the little known story of this romance that um, that played a part in Dietrich's life. Now, today's Walk It Out verse is Isaiah 59, 19. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And I love how even after Dietrich's death that he can encourage others through his words and through his life to fear the name of the Lord more than we fear the hard stuff around us. Um, There is evil in our world, but we can fear the name of the Lord. And so I'm so excited that um, this novel is going to give a glimpse into that. So let's just pray now. Lord, I thank you so much that even though there is evil on this earth and there's challenges and there's hard stuff like um, is displayed in this novel that you are there for your children and that your plans for them, your good plans for them can go on and can um, shine like a light even in a dark place. I thank you for Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. I thank you for those who loved him and lost him, that you were able to be there for them. But I thank you also that writers like Amanda were able to take these true um, heroes of faith and put them into the pages of a book and bring them to life for us as readers, not only for um, entertainment, which I love sitting down with a great fiction novel, but also edification for ourselves. Um, And Lord, I pray that you will just help us 
to not fear the hard stuff around us, but know that you have a plan in it. I pray for Amanda. I pray for her ministry. I pray for her fiction as she continues to write about hard stuff. I know it's not easy when we write about these hard situations, but I pray that you will, um, that you will be with her. And I pray that each of us will take an example of this and and remember that we can stand for God even in a dark place, and we can fear and revere Your name more than what's happening around us. May all my listeners be encouraged today. Well, dear friend, I thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. I just love that we're able to connect. I'm just sitting here in my bedroom with my headset and I'm able to kind of share these stories of my friends and what's going on in their worlds, the books that they write. And I love when you are able to let me know that, hey, I'm listening. I really enjoy the podcast. So you can always email me at hello at trishagoyer.com. That's hello at trishagoyer.com. Also, go to iTunes, leave a review. That would be amazing. I would just love it so much. I'd love to know that it's making a difference. Also, share this podcast with a friend. You can go to my podcast page, which is just on my website, um, trishagoyer.com, or you put in Walk It Out Podcast and copy the link, put it in Facebook or in a text message and send it to a friend and say, you know, I think you'll be encouraged today. And that is really my heart and desire with so many things I could be doing like uh, the laundry right now. (laughs) Um, I love that I can step away and chat with friends and share stories that will encourage and inspire you. So thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. I hope that you will be blessed and encouraged. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.